Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. Let's start with our message. Are you excited? All right, we're starting a brand new series this week, and you know, it's going to be really interesting because it's going to deal with how we actually deal with people around us. And that's important because how we deal with people affects our attitudes, our mental state, and basically how we function in this world. So it's really important. So the series title for you is this. It's called Relational, Relational Vampires. All right? <laughs> it is scary, right? Dealing with people is scary. But that's, that's what it is. You know, in my life, I had a friend, and this friend was someone that would always try to come up with ideas and things to do and things like that and where to go. And, you know, if they had came up with an idea of where to go, they'd want you to come along with them and, and hang out. And it was the best idea when they came up with the idea because that was their idea. But then if you came up with an idea sometime other times and said, hey, let's go over here, then be like, you know what, I'm just too busy, you know, I don't have time, I have something else on, because only their idea was important, and what you guys wanted to do, and so if they wanted to hang out, then everyone should hang out, and everyone should be around, but if you wanted to hang out and go somewhere, well, they were just too busy to do that, all right? There's some people in our world that just seem to suck the life out of us. Some are endlessly needy, others complain, some, of, some you can't trust, some are manipulative, or just plain hypocrites. But we're supposed to love them nevertheless. But honestly, it's just plain difficult. It's hard. So in this series, we're putting a name to these kind of people, and we're calling them relational vampires. Right? What do vampires do? Well, vampires suck blood. What do these people do? Well, they suck the energy and the life out of you. So relational vampires, that's what they do. Now, vampires might be fictional, but there's nothing fictional about these people. They're in the world all around us. And so, scarily, some of them might be your family members. Some of them might be your spouse. Some of them might be a good friend, a co-worker. So we all have to learn how to deal with these people. So instead of running away and fighting these vampires, let's learn how God can use us to bring love into every situation. Because sometimes we can't escape a spouse. We can't escape a co-worker. We can't escape a family member. So we have to learn to live with them. So, are you ready for episode one? All right, so episode one... The title is Control Freaks. So, how many of you know a control freak? His hands went up all over. If you're sitting next to the person that tried to pull your hand down when you put it up, you might be sitting next to a control freak. (laughs) Unfortunately, some of you have been hurt by this kind of person. Because they might have been a person in authority, might have been a person that had some sort of position in your life, a teacher, a co-worker, a boss, father, mother. And so most of them, sometimes, 
you know, there are people that go do things in our life that has an impact on how we deal with other people. And actually, it leaves us in a place of hurt and pain because they're actually trying to do something in our life that we don't necessarily ask for or wanted, but yet they're doing it. And sometimes they might not be intentionally malicious. They're not going out of their way to harm you. And maybe they are hurting and maybe they're going through some pain as well. Maybe they're afraid and maybe they're insecure, but they kind of tend to do that in your life. And they're trying really hard to tell you what to do in your life because they figured out that you don't know what you're doing. So they are necessary in your life so they can tell you how to live your life even though their life might not be great. But they need to be there to tell you because... God knows you'd be lost if they weren't there to tell you what to do. You wouldn't know how to eat. You wouldn't know how to put clothes on. So aren't you glad they're there? <laughs> Some of you are saying, hell no. They are sometimes like emotional black holes. No matter what you do, how much you give them attention, they still want more. It's like they just suck everything out of you. If they don't get what they want, they're going to pout, they're going to stomp their feet, they're going to whine, they're going to complain, they're going to threaten, they're going to give you the silent treatment, and it's like you're walking on eggshells with this all the time. Are you thinking of someone? Don't point them out. But these type of people, the controllers in our life, they use two weapons to try to manipulate situations in our world. Two things that they do constantly to try to control every situation that they're in. And these two things are threats and guilt. Threats and guilt are their weapons of choice to try to control things. Threats are, you better do this or you're going to regret it. You better do this or later in life you're going to have problems. You better do it this way. This is the right way to do it. Not your way, my way, or the highway. Maybe it's someone who says, you better perform or you're going to get punished. You better live up to expectations. I better check your work. And if you're not living up to that, we're going to do something about that. You're going to be fired. You're going to be let go. If you don't do this, I'm going to make you pay. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to call you, text you, so you better do it. It's like a boyfriend that threatens to break up with you if you don't do exactly what they say. A boss that terrifies you if you don't follow exactly to the letter what they want you to do. And you're always on the edge, right? You're always thinking, my gosh, am I doing this the right way? Am I not? If I do this, what's happening? And you're constantly under this mental anguish stress because you never know what's going to happen. Or it's a spouse that threatens, if you don't change and do it this way, then I'm going to leave you. So many times these threats are things of manipulation. Then there's the guilt. After all I've done for you, the least you could do is this for me. I thought we were close. I thought we were friends. I thought that you were going to be there for me. Obviously, I can't count on you. Friend goes, I thought you were a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? Relative that says, you know what? You never call. You must be too busy in your world to call me. Just too busy to find out how I am. You don't love me. You don't care about me. I could be dead for two weeks and you didn't, wouldn't even know. Threats and guilt, right? 
But how do we as Christ followers deal with situations like this? How do we navigate through the pitfalls and the relationships that sometimes come our way? We didn't choose to get in some relationships, but we were born into them because they could have been in our family. We don't have the choice to get out of it. So how do you control these situations? I want to share with you this morning an instance between Jesus and Peter. As I said, we'll get to Peter in a second. Where Peter tries to control the situation. Mind you, it's unintentional. And it might be that he still tries to be there for Jesus and tell Jesus, look, I'm going to be here for you. But unintentionally, he's trying to wrestle control of Jesus away from what Jesus is called to do. Because that's what Peter wanted to do. That's what his desire was. And he says, Jesus, you know what? This is what you should do. Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling across the countryside in Judea and Israel. And as Jesus is teaching, teaching these 12 guys, and they've been on this journey or going on this journey with Jesus ultimately for three years, he begins to share with them. And at the start, he's not very clear about his destiny or where he's going to end up. And he begins to drop breadcrumbs along this journey. But eventually it comes to the point where he just lays it right out. This is what's going to happen. This is the end journey of what we're going to be on. And the closer he gets to the day that he's going to be crucified, the clearer he begins to explain to them. Matthew, who is one of the followers of Jesus, he was actually a tax collector, but took on the task of documenting the story of Jesus' life and his disciples, tells us about this encounter that happens. And when he starts telling us this story, it's actually an amazing understanding of who Jesus is. It's a very important juncture in Jesus' ministry because at this point, at this time, he's going to actually open up to a whole new level of understanding for his disciples. And it's a very important point in the ministry of Jesus. But it comes across in a wholly different way. So it actually begins great for Peter. Peter is actually like presented as this hero in this this point of the story and the point of the documentation that Matthew is writing. And so it starts off with Jesus going and doing his teaching. And so he gathers his 12 as he does after he does his public ministry. And he says to them, tell me, what are the people saying about me? Who do the people say that I am? And so they, they gather and they say, Jesus, we've heard them say different things. Mind you, Jesus is not asking to understand because he already knows what they're talking about him. He's actually trying to teach his disciples a lesson, which we'll see in a moment. So he says to them, what do they call me? And the disciples say, you know, Thomas says, oh, they call you John the Baptist. They think that John the Baptist came back alive and that's who you are. Some of them said, you know, we think you're, they are, you're Elijah, another one of the prophets. Another guy, the disciple says, we think they say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus turns this spotlight from the crowd onto them. And the question he has for them is, but who do you say that I am? Sidebar, eventually every single one of us, whether we believe in Jesus or decide to follow him, has to answer that question for ourselves. It doesn't matter what everyone else says he is, who do you say he is. Do you understand who he is? So Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter, well, Peter, he steps up and goes, hold on, boys, I got this. I know exactly who he is. I'm going to step up to the plate and tell him who he is. And he says, Jesus, I know who you are. 
Now keep in mind that these were Jewish followers and they had lived in a culture where there was an expectation of Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were living under Roman oppression. And so the whole culture was an expectation for this deliverer to come. Because God had already told them that there was going to be a Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one or the chosen one. And so they were looking for this man. And so Peter, through some marvelous understanding, gets the knowledge that this is who Jesus is. They, like you had to look at Jesus, who was in appearance as an ordinary man. There was nothing supernatural in Jesus' appearance. He didn't have a halo around his head wherever he walked that was flashing Messiah. He was an ordinary man like you and I. It's like turning to your neighbor and looking at them and deciding that they're God. That was the challenge. It wasn't something that just goes, oh, they'd seen him do marvelous things, but so did the prophets. That's why they compared him to one of the prophets, because there were prophets that raised people from the dead. There were prophets that did marvelous things and called down fire from heaven. So they had to look at him and not just decide whether he is the Messiah, but he was God. So Peter says, you know what, Jesus? You are the Messiah. And more than that, you are the Son of God. Jesus says, Peter, well said. Peter's probably putting himself up and nudging the guys. He goes, you know, I got this. I know it. Well done, Peter. But you didn't get this knowledge from your own understanding. It was somehow revealed to you. God actually showed it to you. It was not some ordinary understanding. And here's the huge compliment for Peter. He's being raised out of all the other 12 and said, you know what, out of all these guys, you are the guy that actually saw it. And Peter would have been proud. He's like, yeah, me, I'm the one, boys. I saw it first. And Jesus says, that's great. Now, I'm going to take you a little bit further. And show you, not just because you have an understanding of who I am, but what's going to happen. Because again, they understood that Jesus, even though they believed he was the Messiah, their preconceived notion of who the Messiah was, was someone that would come and conquer the Jews, drive out the oppressors, and set Israel free, and set the Jews up in a prime state of ruling the world like they did in the past. That's what their view of Messiah was. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to show you now what the role of the Messiah really is. And Matthew writes this, what he says. From that time, from the understanding of who Jesus is, from that point, Jesus opens himself up. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, and on the third day, on the third day be raised to life. Jesus says, here it is. It's all open now. I might have been dropping breadcrumbs before. I might, have, I might have been speaking in a little bit of parables before. But now you know who I am. Here's the whole story. From that point on, he began to tell them exactly what was going to happen. 
Jesus was explaining to his disciples that he has to go suffer. He has to die. He has to give his life for not just for those people and the disciples, but not them alone, but the whole world, us included. And then he was going to be raised back to life. That was the plan. Peter, however, was having none of it. Peter thought he knew better. Peter's like, oh no, that's definitely not going to happen if I have anything to do about it. So he's like, um, Psst, Jesus, can I have a word with you? Just a few minutes, is that okay? Just come on over here. We're just going to have a quick chat. I know you're trying to explain this, but I just want to say one thing, is that okay? Let's go over here. So Peter calls Jesus to the sidebar. You might notice, notice that controlling people often want to get you alone. They want to take you off to the side. They want to have you isolated so they can whisper in your ear, tell you information, tell you what you should be doing or who you should be listening to or who you should not be listening to because they have the information. Listen to me, not to that person. Listen to what I'm telling you to do. Don't listen to them. So Matthew says, Peter took him aside, speaking about Jesus, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuked Jesus. How dare you say that? Never, Lord, he says. This shall never happen to you. This is not going to happen. If anything, I'm going to stand up and make sure that it's not going to happen. Not the plan for you. I don't know what you're talking about, but that's not the plan. Maybe Peter did this out of love. Maybe he thought that Jesus was just spouting off things and he didn't know what he was actually talking about and it was Peter's responsibility as his friend, as his follower, to tell Jesus that he didn't know what he's talking about. Because this is never going to happen to you, Peter. I mean, Jesus. Maybe he couldn't understand why Jesus was talking about that. Whatever the reason, he was not having any of it. He decided that this is not how things are going to go. None of this is going to happen, Jesus. There must be a better way, a different way, a different outcome. We want you around. You can't die. You can't go and give yourself over to these Roman oppressors. We've waited for decades for you to arrive, and now you're just going to die? What about us? What are we going to do after you die? No, you can't do that. That's not going to happen on my watch. Maybe you're just imagining. Maybe you have some fantasy. Maybe you have some death wish, Jesus. But no, this is not going to happen. Jesus tells Peter no. Just a few moments earlier, Peter had got this massive compliment from Jesus, and he was flying really high. And he said, you know what? I've got control of this situation. I think Jesus is just parting off, so I'm going to tell him what's really going to happen. Jesus turns to Peter and brings him down with a crash. Listen to what Jesus said. It's quite harsh, actually. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You're not concerned about what God wants, Peter. You're just worried about yourself. You're just worried about what your concerns are. See, if Jesus never went to the cross, you and I would not be here. There would be no plan, no way out, 
no salvation, nothing would be happening for you and I. We'd be in the same decrepit state we were always in. We wouldn't be in some redeemed state. Thank God it was not Peter's will that happened, but God's will. And Jesus turns back to the others and the other disciples there and he goes back to the crowd and Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You're going to have to face the reality, Jesus says, that you can't always get what you want. If you really want to follow me, and this extends to all of us here, if you really want to follow Jesus, it's not what you want in your life, it's what God wants for you. And ultimately, that's better than the choice that you want for yourself. You have to stop trying to control everything, especially your own life, because you don't even know what's best for you. Choices you made ultimately didn't bring you good things, they brought you bad things. So why did you choose them in the first place? You thought you were doing something good. You think you do, but you don't. So let's let God's plan unfold for you. Let his plan unfold in your life, and you will be far better off. So how do we deal with people that try to control others? From this encounter between Jesus and Peter, we're going to look at some insights into what we can do to handle that situation. And there are three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, know what you are supposed to do. Know what you are supposed to do. Jesus was so clear on his purpose. He knew exactly why he came. There was no confusion in his mind. He knew why he came. He came to seek and save the ones that were lost. He came to serve and do, not be served, but do for others. He came to bring the message of the Father, the deliverance of God's will, to give his life as a ransom for many, to be crucified, to die, and to raise again from the dead, and make a way for those. Jesus was super clear on his purpose. There was no ambiguity into what Jesus' purpose and mission was. He knew what he was called to do. When you know what you are supposed to do or called to do, you can be manipulated out of it. When you know what you're supposed to do or called to do, you can't be manipulated out of it. If you have a clear understanding of who you are and what you're supposed to do. It doesn't matter what comes or who comes in your life and says you should be doing this and doing that. You say, no, no, I understand completely what I'm supposed to do. And that's not it. Jesus knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And Peter's dissuasion from that task didn't change Jesus' mind. When you define what you're called to do, when you make it clear to yourself, you can't let others come in and tell you what you're supposed to do and take you off course. We think that finding our purpose or understanding what we're called to do happens like some celestial band open up the heavens and they play with a big sound and the big voice from God says, Hello, my son. I'm calling you to go to Alaska and you'll find a blind man on the street and he'll tell you what to do. Now get on your way. That's what we think is supposed to happen. That only happens in Hollywood movies. 
Most of us, we're called to be a loving spouse, to love your wife, to love your husband. We're called to love our kids. We're called to parent them well. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to graduate school and do something with our lives. We're called to serve in church. We're called to talk to someone at work about who God is. And while we are doing what we're supposed to do, we're doing God works in us and through us. He works in the lives of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. There's no supernatural voice that's come out of heaven that defines who you're supposed to do. You might get that, occasionally people do, but for the majority of us, there's no band that's going to play a big tune and a flashing sign that says, this is what you're supposed to do. See, I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to love my wife, and as you heard, sometimes that's a challenge because I'm not always the loving person, even though she is. I'm called to teach people God's word about his love and who he is. I'm called to shepherd God, who God brings to transform. I'm supposed to take care of them. That's what God has called me to do. And the problem for most of us, and the problem for me, is that I'm a people pleaser. And you might be one too. Maybe you know someone who's a people pleaser. You know, oftentimes, and Chanel tells me all this all the time, Sometimes I go out of my way to do things for people that actually don't like me. <laughs> How many of you are like that? Because we battle with it. I battle with it all the time. I'm not trying to be, but it's something that happens. But see, people pleasing is a form of idol worship. People pleasing is a form of idol worship because putting people's opinions of you ahead of God's calling for you is worshiping something that's not. Putting people's opinion of you ahead of God's calling for you is a form of idol worship. When you know what you're supposed to do, you can be cajoled, manipulated, confused, coerced into doing something that you should not be doing. Your purpose or your calling clarifies who you're supposed to be. It makes it clear. You know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Know what you're called to do. See, the reality is, Lots of people have plans for you, just like they have plans for me. They know better who I should be talking to. They know who I should be meeting with. They know what I should be doing with my time, like they know what you should be doing with your time. But the truth is, I can't save anyone. Only God does that. I can't meet everyone all the time. Only God can do that. I can't do everything, and neither can you. So know what you're called to do because calling creates clarity. It creates clarity. What does, here's a question for you. What does every controlling person have in common? What does every controlling person have in common? You ready for the answer? You sure? Every controlling person has someone who allows it. Every controlling person has someone who allows it to happen. The person who does the controlling has a problem, but so do we. 
if we consistently allow it to happen. If you know what they're doing and you allow them to do it, it's not their problem anymore, it's yours. So, know what you're called to do. It's so important when you clarify what you're supposed to do. Number two, know when someone is trying to control you. Recognize when someone is trying to push you into doing something that they want you to do, away from what you are called to do, and what God has wants from you to do. They might put it in different ways. Like, I just want the best for you. You know I care about you, so I'm just trying to help you. This will be so good for you. I'll be there all the way to cheer you on. Know when someone is trying to control you. Jesus tells Peter what's going to happen, and Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. You're not going to do that. Jesus says, this is what I must do. God's will, give myself, then be raised. Peter stands down and says, no, I'm taking control of the situation. No, Lord, never. That's never going to happen. Ask yourself, was Peter the worst guy that ever lived? Did he hate Jesus? Was he intentional about trying to plan to distract Jesus from his cause? Not at all. No, he loved Jesus. He just didn't have a huge understanding of what Jesus was supposed to do. And so he thought, I'll tell him what to do. Because it seems like he's confused about what he should be doing. <laughs> Why did Peter try to control Jesus? Because Peter didn't understand God's plan. Why do people try to control you? Because they don't know what God's plan for your life is. In that moment, Peter was putting his personal desire, his personal wish above God's plan. He didn't want to see Jesus go because he loved Jesus. And sometimes people in your world, they love you. They're not trying to harm you, but they're unintentionally taking you off course. And you have to recognize it. They're taking you off God's plan. So there might be people who are willful and are trying to manipulate you, but there are also people that are trying to do it out of love because they think they know better than you. They don't mean to harm you. They care about you. They just want you to do something that they want you to do. So we need to recognize someone threatening you, guilting you, trying to isolate you from your friends and family and tell you that they're the only voice you should listen to. Recognize who that person is and why they're trying to manipulate you. And then you'll understand. Understand when someone is trying to get you to meet needs you weren't designed to meet. Recognize and understand when someone is trying to get you to meet needs that you were not designed to meet. Because there's only some things that God can take care of. So know your calling. Know when someone is trying to control you. And lastly, this is actually loving. Number three, know when to draw a line in the sand. 
Know when it's time to say, you can't come any further into my life because I don't need you to come in and tell me what to do because you're not the control of my life. See, Jesus turned to Peter and he said this, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That is a harsh word to Peter, who just got this huge compliment, is now being told that he's Satan. Get behind me. You're a stumbling block. Harsh words, but true words. Because Jesus was protective of his mission, of his calling. You need to protect what God has put in your life. Because here's the truth. They're not going to. They're not concerned about where you end up. When you get in a mess, they're going to leave and go on their merry way. You're the one that's going to be in a mess. Get behind me is a harsh word to Peter who was a faithful follower. But Jesus' purpose was at stake. And maybe Peter didn't even understand what he was doing. So clarity put Peter in perspective. You have to draw a line because when you know what you're supposed to do, you can't let other people come in and manipulate into doing something you're not supposed to do. Their choices are not in your best interests. You'll be left with anxiousness, you'll be left with the pain, you'll be left with the heartache. And they might still have a mess, but you get pulled into it just as much. They're not looking out for you, they're looking out for themselves. Peter was not thinking about what was best for Jesus. He might be like, I don't want to lose Jesus, I don't want him to die. He was not looking out for God's purpose and God's plan. He was thinking about what he wanted. I want Jesus, my pal, the boys and I can hang out. Why do you need to go off? We can do a bit more camping, glamping, whatever you do. We're not ready to go back to that place yet. Imagine for a moment if Jesus was a passive people pleaser. That Jesus says to these disciples and to Peter, he's like, this is what God wants me to do. I have to go to the cross. There's going to be a lot of pain and suffering. There's going to be some issues there, but this is what I have to do. And Peter goes, oh no, you can't do that. Who's going to hang out with us? You can't do that. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, I guess, well, maybe I like hanging out with you guys. Forget about that. Or Peter manipulates Jesus and says, don't do that, Jesus, because if you do that, I'm not going to follow you, and I'm going to tell all these boys right here that we're not going to hang out with you. We're going to unfollow you on Insta. We're going to give you the silent treatment. We're going to guilt you. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to be, you know, I want to hang out with the boys. Imagine if Jesus decided to follow Peter's advice. What would happen to humanity? What would happen to you and me? What would happen to Peter even then? But Jesus would never let that happen because then Jesus knew what was at stake. Not just the 12 disciples, but every single person of the control of the world. 
If you give control to a person, God isn't directing you, someone else is. If you give control to a person, God isn't directing you, someone else is. And that's why it's so dangerous. We need to know what we're called to do and recognize when someone is leading us away. What if there's someone in your life, maybe even that you care about, but their dysfunction is distracting you from serving your true purpose? Because you've listened to what they think and what they say, and you've lessened what God thinks and what God says. That's why Jesus said to Peter, you don't care what God wants, you just care about human concerns. You just care what you want. So where do we go when we recognize that we have this type of person in our life? Hopefully this will help someone, set someone free. God will stir up something in your life to refocus you so you don't settle for less when God has so much more for you. And this is an important point. I want you to lean in and listen to this. This is so important. The relationships you have are a combination of what you've created and allowed. The relationships you have right now, no matter how bad or good they are, are a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. Every relationship you have your marriage relationship, your parent relationship, your sibling relationship, your friends, your co-workers, your boss, your kids, whatever it may be, it's a combination of those things created by you and allowed by you. You've either created healthy patterns or allowed unhealthy ones. Here's what we have to do. If you don't like what you have, change what you expect and what you accept. If you don't like what you have, change what you expect and what you accept. Because you know what? You have to know where to draw the line because they're not going to. Know where you need to put a stop to it because your life depends on it. Your morality depends upon it. Your purpose depends upon it. Your walk with God depends upon it. What God does through you depends upon it. How you function in this world depends upon it. So say to that spouse, that family member, that friend, that co-worker, I will not accept disrespect, anger, or any tone. I care about you, but I will not allow that. I love you but I will not let you threaten or guilt me into anything. I know you're hurting. Because I love you, I'm not going to bail you out this time. Because you have to draw a line in the sand. And that might change the dynamics of the conversation. They might shout, they might withdraw, they might get angry, they might guilt you, they might threaten you, but no one said it's going to be easy. You got yourself into it, now you're going to have to get yourself out of it. And yes, they might be hurt. Is that difficult? Yes. So is living with a dysfunctional relationship. Let's be honest. It's easy to point at others who want to control us. But what if we are the one who does the controlling? 
It's easy to look at other people and say, you're the one that's trying to control me. But it's difficult to look in the mirror and say, well, I'm the control freak. All of us sometimes want to control other things. And we might be control freaks. And you know the answer to why? Is because we want to play God. The problem is, I don't make a good God and neither do you. Do you have the power to change someone's situation? No, you don't. Does God does? Yes, he does. Do you have the power to change someone's spouse's attitude? No, you don't. But does God do? Yes, he does. Do you have the power to change someone's behavior and help them out of addiction and all these kinds of substance abuses? No, you don't. But does God do? Yes. Does God have the power to make all things new, to set people free, to liberate someone from addiction? Yes, he does. You're not the one to do it, but he can. When we understand we don't have the power to control everything, that's when we can truly surrender to him. That's why Jesus said, to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. When you follow Jesus, you have to understand that you are no longer in control. He should be. When you follow Jesus, he decides what's best for you, Because it's better than what you decide what's best for you. When you follow Jesus, you will actually learn to surrender your will to his because you understand that his will for your life is far better than anything you could ever come up with for yourself. That's when you will truly surrender. You will deny your choices and your desires and you'll take up his choice and his cross and follow him. So, it's real quiet. (laughs) How do we deal with relationship, relational vampires, especially the control freaks? We have to learn how to live with them and extract ourselves with God's help from situations that are out of our control. And only with his help can we get back on course and do what we are called to do. So I have two questions for you and then we're done. How many of us recognize that we have people who try to control us? How many of us recognize when we have people who try to control us? Do you understand? Do you see? Giving you some tips? Or maybe you're the one doing the controlling. And you need to recognize, you need to step back and say, I'm trying to manipulate this person and I think I'm doing it out of love, but God takes care of them. I don't have to. God has a better purpose for them than I do. Help us. Pray and ask God. Help us recognize when someone is trying to manipulate us, control us, demand from us things that we can't give or meet needs in us that should be met somewhere else.
Number two, which is probably more important, how can we surrender our choices for his choices? How can we surrender our choices for his choices? Again, his choices are far better than our limited choices. His choices give us the best. While our choices often end us or end us with us in trouble. And then we somehow have to lie, steal, cheat our way out of it. So how can you surrender our choices for his? Let's pray. Let's stand. All of us have people in our world that we love and care about. We want the best for. We desire the best for. Sometimes we go out of our way to try and help them. And sometimes that comes across as manipulation. And maybe we're on the other side. Where people are trying to manipulate us into doing something and saying something and going somewhere. And acting a way that's not what we're supposed to do. Remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ. And if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, you're not actually discovering your true identity. You've tried to define yourself by a whole bunch of things, but only the Creator can define the creation. He knows exactly why you were created and your purpose. And you can read as many self-help books as you want and educate yourself on the latest tips and ways of coming to know who you are, but you will never ever find who you are until you find out who Jesus is. Because He is our Creator. And he has an amazing plan. I love what Ike read this morning. It's actually from Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a future. To give you an expected end. God's plans for our life are far exceedingly better than anything that we have for ourselves. So wherever you are, whatever you're going through, know that he loves you and he cares for you. And if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, make that decision today. I'll be happy to guide you on that decision. See one of our leaders. I'll be happy to pray for you and help you. You're never alone. You're among God's people, our family, and we love you. Now let's pray. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.